Grab your Bible and let's go to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. I want to talk to you this morning about the meaning and the purpose of God's chastening. The meaning and the purpose of God's chastening. Now this whole month we're going to look at something called tough love, God's tough love. We talked last week about children and chastening our children and that it is a good thing, it is a right thing, done right. It actually balances a child. The most unbalanced children are those who never get corrected at all. Same goes with God's people. When God's people don't get in trouble. You know what that means? They're not God's people. So we're going to talk this morning about the meaning and the purpose of God's chastening. Hebrews chapter 12. Let's read these uh, six verses. Verses 5 through 11. Hebrews chapter 12. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh, which corrected us, and we gave them reverence, shall we not rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but He, God, for our profit, that we may, might be partakers of His holiness. Now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Now, I don't know if you noticed, but there's a word that repeats itself over and over. Back there in verse 5, you see the word chastening of the Lord? You see chastening in verse 5? Look at verse 6. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. Verse 7, if ye endure chastening. Verse 8, if ye be without chastisement. Go down to verse 10. For verily, for a few days, chastened us. Verse 11. Now, no chastening for the present seems to be joyous. Now, if you get the idea that chastening seems to be the point, you're getting the idea. See, chastening, chasten, chastisement, they're not very popular words. Psychologists and the media define chastening as abuse and extreme and detrimental to the psychological makeup of people. Almost no one on TV or radio today uses the word chastening in a good sense. It's always used in an abusive sense. You see, chastening doesn't make sense to people. The very thought of a God of love chastening his children, as we've just read, is not acceptable. Not to most people. As children, we always had the idea in our minds that our parents were showing us great love when they gave us the things that we wanted. Mommy, I want that. Oh, thank you. You love me. That's what we believe. You know, you're 40 years old and you still think that. But when our parents placed restrictions upon us, we quickly jumped to the conclusion, you don't love me anymore. You, I hate you. That comes from an idea that says, give me what I want, that proves you love me. You don't give me what I want, and that proves you hate me. We only understand a kind of love that coddles and comforts us. But in the modern world, it's very hard to reconcile a kind of love that chastens and corrects us. So the Bible has much to say about chastening, and it says it's actually very good for God's children. And if you're not experiencing chastening, you're in trouble. Father, I pray that you would just open our eyes, our minds, our hearts to the value of chastening in our lives. There's not a one of us that doesn't wish for your blessing, doesn't yearn for a miracle, for something that is desperately needed to be supplied. There's not one of us that doesn't have 
a deep, impossible need and prayer request. But greater than all of that, that we might pile up on our prayer list, the most important thing in our lives that we need is chastening. Right now, we need to learn just how much that proves your love and how much love there is wrapped together when we are chastened. God, the greatest thing that could happen in some unsaved person's life this morning is to sense that they are outside of the family of God and they, they're not experiencing the protective and the guiding and chasing hand of God. I pray someone yearns for that. More than they yearn for heaven, more than they yearn for anything else, may they yearn for a firm hand in their life that would show them the right way and warn them of the wrong and would make them a godly man or a godly woman. But it all happens by the new birth, beginning at the new birth, and it happens, Father, in the trouble in our life. So bless this study this morning, this whole month, in Jesus' name. Amen. First thing we need to understand is chapter 12, verse 5, God chastens his children. It's a fact. Chapter 12, verse 5 says, Ye have forgotten the exhortation, the preaching, which speaketh unto you as unto children, My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. I don't know if you realize it, but God is active in the life of a believer. We always want him to be blessing and helping and honoring us. But God's highest activity is chastening us. Deuteronomy chapter 8. We're going to leave Hebrews for a little while. Deuteronomy chapter 8. We're going to do some cross-referencing. See where the Bible talks about chastening. In Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 5. <clears throat> biggest thing that God does in the life of his children is chastens us. You say, why isn't God answering my prayers? Why isn't God busy in my life? Why isn't he? He is busy in your life. He's just doing what you don't want him to do. <laughs> Hebrew, uh, sorry, Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 5. Thou shalt also consider in thine heart that as a man chasteneth his son, so the Lord thy God does what? So the Lord chastens you. You know, God spoke to David about his young son named King Solomon. Second Samuel, go to the right, find Second Samuel chapter 7. In verse 13, Second Samuel chapter 7, verse 13. Speaking of young Solomon, David wants to build a temple. David wants to create a monument that, that would draw people's attention to the worship of God. And God says, no, I want, I'm going to have your son build that temple. But he gives David some instructions about how God would deal with David's son. Chapter 7, verse 13. He, Solomon, shall build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men. So God actually says, listen, I'll take care of your son, and I won't just bless him, I won't just use him, I'm going to get honor and give honor, but I'll also chasten him when he does wrong. That, that comforted David. David said, you're not going to just let my, my son just go his own way, are you, Lord? You're not just going to let him lose everything that, we've, uh, uh, that we're setting up here. And God says, no, I will chasten him. Go to Psalm 118, middle of your Bible, Psalm 118. In verse 18. Psalm 118 and verse 18. That's not what I want. Oh, I'm looking at 19. 118, 18. I was in 19. The Lord, listen to the writer. He says, the Lord hath chastened me. What's the next word? It hurt. <laughs> the Lord hath chastened me sore, but... He hath not given me over unto death. He hadn't killed me. Now, that's a good verse. You ever want a, uh, want a strong verse? That's one of them. Say, you know, I've been in trouble with God, but God always stopped before killing me. God's very kind. Look at Psalm 119, verse 67. Next chapter, Psalm 119, verse 67. 
Before I was afflicted, that's another word for chastened, corrected. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now have I kept thy word. What was the key? Not the logic of the Bible, not the truth of the Bible, not the reality of the Bible, but the pain of being caught out and corrected by God. That helped me get back to doing right. Go to verse 71. It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. I might learn thy ways. Verse 75. Verse 75. I know, O Lord, and this is a good confidence to have. I know, O Lord, that thy judgments are right and that thou in anger. Is that what it says? No. In faithfulness has afflicted me. You're just doing what you're supposed to do. You're just being consistent, God. You're just treating me faithfully. Now, that may not sound great to you. But it is vital for believers if they're going to grow. God is active in the life of the believer. Secondly, God is a father. Not just, not just uh, you know, uh, almighty, not just creator, not just sovereign, not just Lord, but father. Go to uh, two verses, Isaiah 64. Isaiah chapter 64 and verse 8. Isaiah 64 in verse 8. Now, O Lord, Thou art our Father. We are the clay and Thou our potter. We are all the work of Thy hand. Here's Isaiah just declaring that God is Father. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. To the right again, way off into the New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 18. Here's the promise of God saying, 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 18. And I will be a, I love that word, father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. You know, at the new birth, we enter into a relationship with God as Father. That's cool. He is our Abba, our Father, our Dada. It's one of the first words every father, every dad always tries to get their kid to go, say Dada. Mom's going, no, no, say Mama. <laughs> but those are, those are the first words normally that a child can pronounce. And it is such an endearing, such a close, intimate term. When you, I just, I can't go up to somebody, you know, I can't say to Bill, da-da. No way. But you know, when I ache, and just like when Jesus was being prepared for the cross and, and going through the Garden of Gethsemane, he cried out to his father and he said, my Abba. That person he needed to be very close to. That's who God is. Now that's a reality you've got to take to the next step. You see, as a father, he does not leave us alone. He doesn't leave us to ourselves. He doesn't let us go our own way. He is at work on us and in us constantly. He worketh his will into us so that we can work it out of us. He's always at work. And that's how a father is. A father does not say, go out and play in the street, kid. That's not a father. That's a, that's a jerk. When, 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 when we have a modern age where we leave our kids to themselves hours and days and weeks and years, what do you expect your kids are going to turn out like? The devil. A father is involved with their children, not, not micromanaging them. Don't get the idea. They're always extremes. But the idea is the father is out watching, the mom's watching, and if the child is kicking the ball and he goes out in the street, where's mom? Stop the kid from going after the ball. Amen? That's called, you can't, son, you can't just go out to the street. Stop here at the curb. And that is, that is what a father does. He doesn't just let the child just go off on its own or her own. But you know, God will leave people to go their own way when they're not his children. You say, why? I'm not looking at you specifically, Mary. And Mary is looking at me going, <gasps> I'm not looking at you specifically. Actually, I was looking at Tunde behind you. Anyway. <laughs> 
You ever wonder why why do some people seem to be just off into such wicked sin and nothing happens to them? They just they they've left their wife forty seven times. They've they've uh, buried eighteen cats in the back garden. They now that's okay. Anyway, they they uh, uh, they 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 they're they're bankers. They've robbed people. They've they've uh, uh, they're they're uh, professional liars. Did I say lawyers? Whatever. I mean, in all of that, you say they never seem to get into trouble. They never go to jail. They never get caught. Do you ever wonder that? You know why? Because God is not their father. You see, God chastens only his children. Look back there in Hebrews chapter 12 now. God chastens only his children. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 5, 6, 7, and 8. You have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children, my son. Despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourges every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof how many are partakers? All believers are partakers. Then are ye bastards, you're not in the family, and you're not sons. God chastens only his children. What does Jesus say to the Pharisees when he looks at them? Their, their, their religiousness was top of the line. They were so professionally good. And Jesus said, ye are of your father, the devil. Wow. No chastening there. You know, God will be responsible for his children, and it shows in our lives. Real, uh, uh, real, true blue Christians can't get away with sin. If you're saved and you try to go back to the drink, you try to go back to the, to the porn, you try to go back to the old friends, it's like gravel in the mouth. And you get, you get caught, you get in trouble. You, 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 things just fall apart when you go away from God. Does that ever happen to anybody else? Am I the only one that ever gets miserable when I try to sin? Am I the only one? Of course not. True blue, born-again Christians don't enjoy sin anymore. Oh, we try. Did you ever notice when a person gets saved, they used to be able to take two or three, three uh, uh, drinks and they were, they were happy. Now they have to take eight. They used to be able to pop two or three pills and they were on the moon. They were dancing through all night. Now they have to take 10 or 12 or 15 because after you got saved, it doesn't have the punch and you have to overdo it nearly to the point of overdosing just to feel the buzz that you used to feel easily before you got saved. God won't let you have the fun you used to have. He's got better fun. He's got better life. He's got better things. So, if you ever find yourself always getting caught, thank God. Thank God. Because God only chastens his children. He's not out chasing the unsaved. Now, he's got something else for them. But boy, when he's after you and he pulling the rug out from under you and he keeps humbling you and he keeps catching you and he keeps exposing you and keeps making your life miserable that's because he loves you that's because he is your father that's because you're his child that's because that's that's what he does think about it only born again christians feel regret about doing sin you never when you were unsafe you never regretted what you watched on television you never regretted it you never regretted, you, you know, all the stuff that you got into. It was always push the envelope a little further. Now you go back to that, and boy, for days you're grieving. You're like, why did I do that? God, I'm so sorry. That's a sign you're saved. Amen? Not that you don't sin, but that you don't enjoy it like you used to. Oh, there's pleasure in sin. Don't sit there and think that it won't be fun, but boy, does it wear out fast as a Christian. Number three. He chastens because he loves. Look at verse 6. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Now we're told over and over and over it's an act of love. My dad did. It's going to hurt me more than it hurts you. I saw a little comic and a little kid looked up and says, yeah, but in a different place. <laughs> Proverbs 3. Leave this for a minute. Go to, um, go to Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 12. 
You ought to be memorizing this verse by now. It's our memory verse, but let's look at it. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 12. Now, very confusing to most people that chastening, being corrected is an act of love instead of being an act of hatred and punishment. Proverbs 3 and verse 12 says, For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth even as a father the son in whom he is angry. Is that what it says? No, no, no. In whom he delighteth. Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 19. Revelation 3.19 says, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Now, the truth is, God doesn't... God does this. God chastens us, not because He's an angry God, but because he's a faithful God. He's a loving Father who delights in us and is determined to change us, to transform us, to make us better people. Modern culture believes in a different loving God. They believe in a God that would just let people find their own way. You know, if God loved me, he'd let me just, just, just find my own way. Really? Is that what you really believe? A, a, a loving God wouldn't give me guilt. A loving God wouldn't make me experience the results of my sin, the results of other people's sin. Would protect people from, from drunk drivers and, and wouldn't let people experience trouble in their life if there was a loving God. But that's not the idea of a loving God. The idea to let you just do what you want is a picture of a negligent God. An irresponsible, careless, slack, uninvolved God that lets you just do whatever you want. That is not God. Parents who do not correct their children are classified as negligent, aren't they? And you know, you take that very far, you'll lose your kid. If the, if the guard have to keep picking up your kids down uh, joyriding, have to keep picking up uh, your children uh, thieving, and have to keep picking up your kids drunk, you're going to lose them, amen? Is that right or wrong? Come on. That's a negligent... Where were you? What were you doing when your son was out at 3 a.m.? That's what the guard will ask you, aren't they? Amen. And every one of us, we know the grief of, yeah, but there is, but, but I want you to understand, when God is imagined to be this airy-fairy kind of creature flying around doing nothing, and we're down here just finding our own way, that's not the God of the Bible. God of the Bible knows what you're doing, and he's interested in trying to get you to do right. Now, when, 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 when you just get on and you watch your porn and you hang around with your old buddies and you blaspheme the name of Jesus Christ and you, you steal from your employer and you steal from your mom and you, and you steal from your dad and you, you uh, steal from, from, from your neighbors and, and you, uh, uh, you lie about everything and nothing ever happens to you, you ought to be very worried. You ought to be very worried because you're not experiencing the loving hand of God in your life. That is not God being good to you. <laughs> the only goodness of God there is He hasn't killed you. But He's certainly not showing any affection or love towards you. And here's the truth. If God didn't love you, He would leave you alone. Please do not ever pray, God, just leave me alone. That's the worst thing that ever happened to you. I wish my parents would just disappear. <whistles> you ever prayed that? You ever wished that? That's the wrong thing to wish. The best thing you've got are your parents. The best thing you've got is somebody who'll come along to you and stick their bony finger in your face and say, you're wrong. Amen. If God didn't love you, he'd leave you alone. That would be a nightmare. Now, the meaning of chasing. Now we're finally going to get down to what it means. What does it mean? Hebrews 12, 9. Go back to Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12, 9. Furthermore, we have, had our, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us. Did you note that word? And we gave them reverence. Boy, we really respected them. wonder why people don't respect their parents now. 
because they don't get corrected. Not like they should. And we gave them reverence. Shall we much rather be in subjection unto the Father, God, of spirit, and live? Now, this is very important. Most people believe that chastening means God beat me up or is punishing me for some sin. That's how we feel, don't we? The car won't start. God, you're punishing me. <laughs> you get fired from the job. God, you're punishing me. Most of the time, that's what we believe. But the meaning of the word chastening is to teach and to correct. Chastening has to do with training and teaching children. It means to educate in the right way. We get the word discipline from this. Teaching, training, is this right? Yeah, let me say this. Teaching, training, having clear expectations, and carrying out corrective measures when a child is not doing something right. That is what it means to teach. Now, how can a piano student, let's imagine somebody's going to play the piano. Let's imagine, how can a piano student get to the place where he or she can play in an orchestra if no one will correct them as they're teaching them? Okay, Johnny, sit down. All right. Let's just play. All right, that's middle C. No, no, play that one. Play C. Well, Johnny, I guess this is C today. No, that's C. How is anybody going to ever play the piano in an orchestra if the teacher doesn't say, Johnny, you're going to play C. We're going to stay here all day until you hit that key. <laughs> you got to correct them, amen? That's what it means, and you're teaching them. You're not punishing them. The fact that a teacher may cor uh, corrects them and, may, and often scolds them does not mean that they don't love them. And the fact that for much of our lives, our parents scolded us and corrected us when we did wrong does not mean that they did not love us. Nod your head. I know all the adults will say that. The kids are like, you're crossing the line, preacher. God chastening means to correct. That's it. To get us to do things right by telling us what we're doing wrong and then instructing us how to do it right. And Let me say this. Chastening involves troubling us when we don't do things right. Now, we don't really mind the teaching part. We don't mind coming to church and, and coming and listening to instruction. But when we hear the word correction or when we hear a rebuke, and we're being told that we're wrong, or we're doing things wrong, and we need to change, well, that crosses a line. You're not going to tell me I'm wrong, preacher. Somebody will. Too many people have had been told that they were wrong on the other side of a prison bar before they finally hear it. Amen. You know, to discover that troubles in our lives are from the hands of a loving God, all because we're being stubborn, Willful and hard-hearted. Hey, you know what? To hear that the reason why trouble's in your life, Christian, is because, and I'm not going to come and say, you're in trouble, you did this. And I, There's no way to figure out, and I'll talk next week, about how to discern punishment versus chastening. It's too big a deal. I'll tell you a little bit about it in just a minute. And I'm not going to say, oh, that, what happened to you, that's God chastening you. That's what Job's friends did, and that was none of their business. Okay? But I'm going to tell you this. Every time trouble comes into your life, you ought to ask yourself, Lord, are you trying to get my attention? Is this, is this just persecution? Is this spiritual attack? Or am I in trouble? All right? But whenever there's trouble in our life, whenever there is pressure in our life, we want out. We don't want to be corrected. We don't want God to be saying, no, 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 that's too far. Go back. I said, go back. <laughs> Amen. By the way, uh, if we don't change under that pressure, God increases the pain and the pressure and the trouble. Not to punish or to judge us. You know, Jesus was judged for all our sins. Amen? When you're in trouble, it's not because God's trying to punish you and judge you. He judged every one of your sins, past, present, and future, on Jesus Christ. So punishment isn't even part of the picture. Pain is, <laughs> but not punishment. God just wants to correct us. Often he has to do it painfully. Why? Because we don't listen. I'll prove it to you in a minute. Often, 
we think that God would just come along and tap us on the shoulder and say, don't do that. You know what? We don't even listen. We're in the West. We've got so many sounds and, and, and interruptions and stress, we can't hear God. So, so we don't pay attention when he's gentle. We don't, pay, we, don't, we don't sense the fact that he's being patient with us. But when, when you are, by the way, let me say something about, uh, go to, go to, I'll tell you this, go to Galatians chapter 6. Go back to the left, find Galatians chapter 6. There are three things about the law of sowing and reaping. You probably know them. Now, none of us are farmers. But you understand these principles. They're universal. Galatians chapter 6, and verse 7 and 8. Be not deceived. Don't let anybody lie to you and don't believe the lie. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. The word sow means plant. Reaping means harvest. He that soweth to his flesh, you're going to, of the flesh, shall reap corruption, ruin. But he that soweth to life, oh, sorry, to the Spirit, shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. So be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. Now what's my point? You will always reap what you sow. You plant corn, I'll give you one guess what you're going to get out of the ground. Corn. Hmm. Some of the things we planted in our life four years ago, we're getting today. You will always reap what you sow. You, you sow rebellion, you're going to reap it in your kids. Sometimes I wonder how any of my kids came out right, because I was a mess when I was a kid. I reaped what I sowed when I was a kid. The way I told off my mom, the way I thought that my dad was the problem, the way I blamed everybody else, I watched my own kids. I reap what I sow. Amen. You reap what you sow. Second truth about sowing and reaping, you'll always reap more than you sow. Anybody ever plants one kernel of corn into the ground, you get three ears of it at least. You get a lot more when it, when it finally grows up, doesn't it? You always get more trouble than you planted. And the third reality of sowing and reaping is you always reap later than you sow. Nobody ever just plants, unless it's genetically modified, nobody ever just plants corn and six hours later, <laughs> it doesn't happen that way. You say, you know what, I've been smoking and nothing's ever happened to me. Put the word yet on there. You will reap. I, I, I drink a hot toddy every day before I go to sleep. And, I, and I'm fine. I can drive, I... Yeah, yeah, one of these days, you will reap. You always reap what you sow, you reap more than you sow, and you reap later than you sow. That is an inescapable law of God. And when, when the pressure is on, believe me, and God starts making you reap for, for what you've sown, you are forgiven, but the consequences still come. There are too many people that say, well, so-and-so, she got saved, she shouldn't have to go to jail. What? Probably she should. Just getting saved, getting born again, getting right with God doesn't mean that you shouldn't have to pay the time in jail. Amen. You, should, you, you stole from somebody and you get saved, you should go back and say, I did wrong, here's the money back. Amen. You're not, you're not free from the consequences of your sin in this life. So when, when you don't do right, God puts the pressure on and you're going to reap more and more trouble until God finally humbles us and we go, you win. Now, he's not doing this to punish us, and he's only doing it to correct us. Thank God. Thank God. And boy, don't we need correction. Think about it. When your manager, your teacher, your parents, when they correct you, guess what? They should. Amen. Thank them when they do. I mean, wow. You think about, I remember my mom trying to teach me to drive. That was a mistake. You know why? Because I wasn't listening. <laughs> anyway, I won't tell you all the horror stories. My mom spent some time trying to give me some experience and sitting in the driver's seat there, and she moved to the back seat. Anyway, <laughs> I'm not sure if she thought that was a faster way out or whatever. But you know what she'd say? She'd say, slow down. I said, slow down! <laughs> why was she yelling? First, for fear. Secondly, she wanted to make sure we survived. Amen? 
But the idea is, Mom, don't yell at me. You need to thank her, she did. We get all upset when somebody scolds us and gives out to us. You ought to just thank them. It'd be so wrong for the people in our life to just let us do things the wrong way, our own way. Imagine, imagine being at the office there. Imagine the manager sitting there and he sees a report that you made and it's about, you know, potatoes. Sales of potatoes when he wants to know uh, what's, our, what's our sales of uh, uh, spark plugs. Oh, well, I'll, I'll hold on to this. This is very nice. Good job there, Craig. Great. Uh, well done. Let's all give him a hand. He gave us a report on potatoes today. <laughs> Imagine... Uh, imagine a teacher standing up there. Gives a child a question. Says, two plus two, John. Two plus two. Five. Class today, two plus two equals five. Let's give him a hand. Yay. Unfortunately, that's what most teachers are doing. There are no right or wrongs. We don't want any child to feel like they're wrong. How about a, you wouldn't trust a car manufacturer where all the employees are over there are make, uh, they're allowed to make a car any way they want. Let's see, let's put the steering column underneath. <laughs> see, somebody drive this today. Folks, you know what? If you find some guy and he's doing something wrong, he's putting a hole in the wrong place, that foreman on the job, his purpose is to stop him and say, put it here. Amen? And if the employee says, I like it there. You know what you do with the employee? You fire them. You have some chastening power. You cause some pain in their life. Amen. Maybe the next job they'll go. If my boss tells me to drill there, I drill there. Amen. That's chastening. It's to correct. Some foreman coming along doesn't say, you're putting in the wrong place because they hate the employee. Doesn't do it because they, they are angry at the employee. They're trying to get the employee to do right. When your teacher corrected you and said 2 plus 2 is 4, Johnny, I don't believe that 2 plus 2 is 5 in my home. When the teacher says, go to the back of the class and stand on the corner. That's so cruel. No, it's correction. Do you ever have to sit on? I, we had, we, my, my teachers were cruel. We had a stool. And when you acted up in class, she said, Craig, come up here. Sit on that stool. Now, in the olden days, they made you wear that stupid hat. You know what I'm talking about. But I had to sit on that. I had to sit on that thing. I tell you what, you only had to sit on that stool once. You never want to sit again. You see, that was cruel. Uh, depends on your... your uh, that got me out of a lot of trouble because I was already headed towards the wrong, wrong crowd and everything. We need correction. We've got this idea. We've watched so many television programs and so many movies that showed extreme abuse. We're afraid of correcting. Listen, God's not. Don't you be upset at God. Don't you faint. Don't you don't despise the chastening of the Lord, God says. The meaning of chastening. What does it mean? To correct us. Sometimes it involves just instruction. Sometimes it involves a rebuke. Sometimes it involves pain. It depends on how we, res how we respond to it. Now, God uses many different ways. 12, Hebrews chapter 12, again, in verse 6. Hebrews 12 and verse 6. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourges every son whom he receiveth. Notice that chastening, scourging, verse 7. If he endure, it's painful. God dealeth with you as sons, as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? Um, God is very gracious to allow you to hear quiet words in the Bible and that be enough. You're Hebrews. Go back to chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. <clears throat> For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged what? Wow. Piercing even to the dividing asunder of my soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. God is very gracious to give you a Bible hoping that you'll listen to the rebukes that God gave in a book. Greatest 
greatest thing you've got is a chance to sit alone with God and listen to him speak to you and sometimes rebuke you. You want him to just comfort you. Sometimes you need comforting, but there are sometimes you need chastening. And when he rebukes you, you ought to be able to say, thank you, because it's from the same hand. The hand that blesses also needs to and must chasten. And here's a book that will cut to the heart, that will pierce through all of the stubbornness if you'll let it. That's how God works. He works on us, sometimes just by words on a page. Hey, sometimes by a preacher. Look at, uh, uh, um, look at Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13, verse 17. Hebrews 13, 17. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they, this is dealing with pastors, they watch for your souls as they that must give an account that they may do with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. You know, sometimes God is very good to you by giving you uh, a preacher who raises his voice. You know, there was a time when, when Moses was up on Mount Sinai and children of Israel were down at the bottom and they were, they were taking off their clothes and, clothes and running around an idol they had just made and they were praising or worshiping this idol and, and thinking of, of uh, going back to Egypt and all that stuff. And God says, I am fed up with those people. And you know what Moses said? Let me deal with them. And Dave, uh, sorry, Moses heads down to the bottom of that hill. You know what he did when he got down to the bottom of that hill? He took those two tablets of stone, he smashed them, and then he raised his voice and he looked them in the eye and he gave them hell fire preaching. He says, you don't know how close you are to being swallowed up and destroyed and God starting all over. We need to get right, right now before God has to do it. And God has, God has given you another chance through some, some hellfire preacher. And whenever you hear somebody, sometimes in your faith, maybe it's your parents, maybe it's your husband, maybe it's your wife, be careful wife, but when, maybe it is your boss and they're raising their voice, don't think of it as anger, think of it as chastening and go, you know what, that's keeping me from getting fired. That's keeping me from, from down the line losing uh, 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 the blessings of God. That's keeping me from making a, an irreversible mistake in my life. Somebody being strong enough to face you off and say, don't go! Don't do it. Don't buy this world's lie. That's the grace of God. You say, that's chasing. Yeah, when you come to church and somebody acts like they're angry up at the front, that's a gift. Instead of God being angry, God said, I'll let Ledbetter be a little upset there for a little while so I don't have to be. Because when God gets upset, we're doomed. So sometimes he uses gentle pressure. Think about it for a little bit. You know, um, uh, Nathan came up to David. David's minding his own business. David is filled with Bathsheba. And David's up there. He's gone for nine months, not even, not even thinking that he's in trouble with God. You know what Nathan does? Nathan comes up to him, tells him a little story. A little, about a, one lamb and a, and a poor man. And that, that lamb being taken and fed to a traveler by a rich man who had plenty of lambs. And David got all upset and he says, that man ought to die. And what did Nathan do? He raised that bony finger and he says, Thou art the man! What was that? Pressure. Pressure. A bit of chastening. You're in trouble. Man, sometimes God uses gentle pressure. I think of another one there. Um, you know, maybe, maybe you get ready to do something and you know you're going out with the friends and then the weather changes and, 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 the, and the roads are flooded out. And you're, 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 you're halfway between home and some place you're going to meet your friends and you're going to be doing some things that are wrong and you're stuck in a flood somewhere. That's a bit of pressure, amen? That's not so bad. Maybe your girlfriend drops you. Maybe there's unexplained sorrows in your life. Remember Paul's thorn in his flesh? You know what Paul's constant battle was with pride. He could speak seven languages. He could... Uh, go into a city and start a church in three weeks. <laughs> he started the church at Thessalonica in three weeks and then went on to the next town. This guy was an amazing preacher. People gathered. They'd stay up all night listening to him preach. Every once in a while somebody would fall asleep and fall down and die. And he could go raise them from the dead. He had great abilities, amen. And his potential was to battle with pride. And God said, I'm going to put a little pressure on you, Paul. I'm going to give you a thorn humble you. Just a little bit of pain to remind you, stay down on earth. Amen. A little bit of pressure there. 
Sometimes God has to raise it a little bit and move to a heavy hand. We call it a whipping, a scourging. And it's very painful when you lose your job, when you get into a car accident, when you have a heart attack, when you're in constant sickness mode. The Corinthians had that. The Corinthians, Paul said, some of you are weak, some of you are sick, some of you have died because of their rebellious attitude towards the respect towards the Last Supper. And, and that's heavy-handed. And after David, rebuked by Nathan, he then has to face the consequences of sin, and one thing after another was loss after loss after loss. He lost the baby. His own sons turned against him. It was just a, a, a domino effect. Heavy hand of God. Samson lost his eyesight, didn't he? That's heavy handed. That's chastening, folks. God wasn't punishing him. God was chastening him. What did God want? So one day, Samson, blind and defeated, would stand up there, the, the focal point of the mockery of an entire nation of ungodly Philistines who mocked God, that one day he would stand up there and say, okay, God, you win. This fight, you, you do. I will be your vessel and I will trust if you will just give me the strength. I will finally do your will. And God said, now we win. You see, all of the trouble in Samson's life brought him to the place where God could use him. It was chastening. Heavy-handed, but it was chastening. By the way, it all came from God's hand. The devil's after me. Oh, the devil's ruining my life. Maybe he is. But if you remember, the Bible says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and I give them an eternal life. Uh, and they shall never perish. Uh, my father would... Um, uh, come on, how's the next verse go? He's talking about... Um, no man shall pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all. No man shall pluck them out of my Father's hands. Here's a question. If the devil's coming at you, and he does, he's got to go through two hands to get to you. So whatever is coming at you, God knows and God is controlling. So you know when Job had his trouble, we'll talk about this next week, when Job had the trouble in his life, guess who he talked to? He didn't try to talk to the devil, even though the devil was throwing everything, including the kitchen sink at him. Who did Job want to talk to? God. He said, God, why are you doing this? God could have said, I'm not doing it, man. I'm up here. I'm busy watching the Late Late Show. That's not what God was doing, was it? God was intimately, effectively, constantly involved in the life of Job. And Job said, God, you and I need to talk. It all comes from the hand of God. Part of his training of your personal character and your integrity. Now, here's a warning. Until you prove there is, a, there is a time where God, sometimes he just, through the word of the Bible or through the word of a preacher or a soul winner, uh, the word of your parents, the word of your boss, sometimes gentle pressure, sometimes heavy pressure coming upon you. But when you prove that you're completely stubborn and Christians can be this way, and when you prove that you're completely unwilling to change, then God has to move it to the highest level and you die an early death. I'll give you an example. Moses did not get to go into the promised land. He had a problem with anger. He never got it dealt with. Cost him that long life he should have enjoyed going into the promised land. Whew. Wow. Wow. God uses different ways, man. I think I'd rather pick up my Bible and let God start there and finish there and not have to take it any further. Would you agree? Now, what's the difference between chastening and pushing? I'll talk about this next week, but let me just introduce you to some thoughts. Number one, chastening is pain and trouble in your life that God uses to show that you're doing wrong. You're headed for trouble. It's intended to not to punish you, not to effectively... I, I mean, it hurts. Of course it hurts. But it's to redirect your attention to help you grow and change. That's all it is. Punishment is God no longer being able to correct you so that he has to cause you to start losing things. Punishment is intended to hurt you and to break you. Punishment flows from justice. If God has to punish something, it's because he is a just God and he will punish this world, will he not? But chastening flows out of love. Whom the Father loves, he chastens. Punishment is inflicted by a judge and is fatal and final. When the judge drops that gavel and says, 30 years, whatever it is, 
That ruins your life, doesn't it? That's justice. Chastening is administered by a parent. And it's only, it, it may hurt for a little while. You may not have the freedom you had uh, and the abilities and the opportunity you used to, but it came from a loving hand and it changes us. You see the difference between punishment and chastening? Which one do you want? Now, the purpose of God's chastening, look back there in Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, yeah, chapter 12, verse 10. Let's wrap this up. Four purposes of chastening, verse 10 and 11. Actually, start in verse 7. If you endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, where of all partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Now, all that is very, very important because I want you to understand. You see, what is the first purpose of God chastening? Is to prove that he loved us. Verse 9, Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the fathers of, father of spirits and live? You see, God, as our Father, takes his responsibility very seriously. Actually, his reputation and character is at stake. If Christians aren't getting in trouble for doing sin, it reflects on God. Now, what can you say when, when these supposed Christians are making, making merchandise of the poor and taking advantage of the poor and they're, they're ignoring um, uh, the Bible. They claim to be Christian, but they never go to church. They claim to be Christian, but they never tithe. They claim to be Christian, they never go soul winning. They claim to be Christian, they never read um, uh, to their kids. They never do anything that's spiritual. And yet they seem to be happy as Larry. What can you conclude? They're not Christian. Because you may do that for a little while, but you won't be able to do it very long. His reputation is at stake. He has to correct you. But you know, when he corrects us, it, it shows us he loves us. Only a father who hates his child would neglect to chasten him. Go to Proverbs 13. Hold your place here in Hebrews. Proverbs 13 and verse 24. Proverbs 13, 24. He that spareth his rod hateth his son. But he that loveth him, chasten him over and over, early as possible, be time. You see, only a father who hates his child would neglect to chasten them. The second reason why God chastens us is to awaken sorrow for sin. I think it's the most wonderful goal. And now, God has his greatest goal. This is my greatest goal, all right? I'm, I'm glad when God chases me. It reminds me I belong to him. It reminds me he loves me. But chastening awakens in the believer a sorrow for sin. Psalm 32. Go to Psalm 32, verse 1. Psalm 32. In verse 1. Brother Dan's awfully quiet here today. Am I not exciting enough? Or what? I knew coming in, man, this is going to be a quiet message, man. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Why does he say that? Keep going. Blessed is the man in whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile, there is no deceit, no lying. When I, going back in time, David remembers, when he kept silence about his sin, my bones aged. They waxed old through my roaring all the day long. Oh, he's keeping silent on the outside, but on the inside, there's a roaring. He's screaming, verse, nine, verse 4, For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. Selah. Sit there and think on that for a minute. So, what does he do in verse 5? I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. 
Too many people want to get saved by just praying a prayer and just by believing in Jesus and just by walking uh, as, as, as a new person when inside they never grieved over their sin. They never had a time where they realized, I am so wrong! I don't deserve anything. You know, that'll save a soul. It'll also good for the Christian afterwards to go, that'll keep me soft. Well, when God humbles me, when He pulls the rug out from under me and I find myself on my knees crying, I go, Lord, thank you for reminding me to be sorry, to grieve and to be sad. Not to blame, not to look at everybody else, but to look into my life and go, God, I did wrong. Psalm 51. Psalm 51. Verse 2. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity. That's a good prayer. Cleanse me from my sin, for I, there we are, I acknowledge, I agree with my transgression, I admit to my transgression, and my sin is ever before me. You're not trying to hide from it, not trying to, to, to ignore it. He says, I see it. Verse 4, against thee, thee only, Psalm 51, 4, have I sinned and done this what? That's a good word. That's how you ought to see your sin. This evil in thy sight that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou just judgest. You know what he's doing? He's giving God authority. He says, God, you win. You're right and I'm wrong. You know, when God chastens us, it's to awaken a sorrow for sin. Would you say that's a good thing? It's a very good thing. Not that you live in it, but that, and that's guilt. Some people live in guilt. Don't you dare do that. The blood of Jesus Christ does what with our guilt? Washes the sin and the guilt away. Amen. But you've got to start with some guiltiness. You've got to start with, I've done wrong. To awaken a sorrow for sin. Thirdly, to give us wisdom. Proverbs 13.1 a, a wise son heareth his father's instruction, but a scorner, a mocker, heareth not rebuke. Wait a minute. Instruction, rebuke, same thing. Two different people. How you hear your father, how you hear the preacher, how you hear the words of God, how you hear your boss, and how you respond to that will either make you wise or fired. Amen. Either wise or a fool. You know, the more you let this book correct you and say, you know what, I used to think I could smoke and get away with it. I learned God is not mocked. It will, I will not get away with it. I'm not smoking anymore. Now you're because that, that trouble in your life, just the word of God, just a preacher, just something coming in your life, waking you up going, I need to stop, I need to put this fag down. Late night watching television, me sitting there hanging around with these friends and waking up to the moment for you to be able to say, I got to stop this. God is teaching you. Amen. Your, your mom tried it. Now you're too old for mom to be there. It's time for God to do it. Let him do it. Gives you wisdom. Ecclesiastes 7.5 says this. I think it was written in the 1980s. You ready? It is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools. What do kids listen to? All day, every day. Listen to the song of fools. It's better to listen to a wise preacher. Listen to your wise parents. Listen to people who love you. People who may look at you and say, that's wrong. Don't do that again. And go and listen to that gives you wisdom. Our society is so full of information, but so little wisdom. Would you agree? But last thing it does is it produces holiness in us. Go to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, back there in chapter 12, verse 10 and 11. Speaking of our, our own earthly parents, for they, verily for a few days, chastened us after our own pleasure, but he, talking of God, he does it for our profit, that we might be partakers of his what? Now, no chastening for the present seems to be joyous. Nobody enjoys being corrected. Nobody enjoys the affliction and the trials that God brings us into, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterwards, it produces, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of a righteous life unto them which are exercised thereby. Now, let me ask you this. How does our modern society handle problems? When, when the world seems to pull the rug out from under you. What have I just taught you? The world's not doing it. Who is doing it if you're saved? 
God does. How does the world handle pressure, stress, problems? I'll tell you what. If a child has behavior problems, you know what everybody says? Here's a pill. Now go cope with it. Don't let to live with it. If a person is discouraged, you know what the doctors say? Here's a pill. Now go cope with it. If a person is depressed, they say, take this drug and then go cope with it. Amazingly, we know what I found, and you know it too, there are thousands and thousands of drugs out there for all of our ailments. Hey, if you got marriage problems, there's a pill for that too. People believe problems are bad and they just have to be coped with, but the truth is God uses our problems to produce holiness in us. Not drug addiction. Not to prescription drugs. His great purpose is for us to become like His Son. Amen? Is to produce holiness, not perfection. Not where you walk around, you know, like on Monty Python, you know, and, and, you're, and, and you have no life. You, you, you live in a monastery or a beehive hut somewhere and, and you, you, you close your eyes when you're around people. That's not holiness. Holiness is you do your job, you tell the truth, you pay your bills, and you love to go to the beach, and you love swimming, and you love playing soccer, and you love climbing trees with your kids. Holiness means you do it right. Amen. And you live like Jesus did. I read, I, I read it all the time. The old-time preachers used to repeat this probably 50 times a year. Say, God's primary concern for us is not our happiness. It's our holiness. I'm not very happy. Are you holy? You know, God pulls the rug out from under you. It's to prove he loves you. He's not going to let you just walk away and get into sin. It's to awaken sorrow for sin in your life, to, to teach you and to give you wisdom, not just information, and to produce holiness in our life. The next week, I'm going to talk about the work of God's chastening. When you get saved, you know what you are? You're just a rock. You're just a you're not worth much. To God, you're worth everything. But when God starts chipping off and starts working on your life and the work of chastening is, is taking stuff away from you and pulling stuff and the pain and the, 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 the trials, it's producing a diamond. It's making something beautiful. He has made everything beautiful in his time. By way of conclusion, chastening doesn't make sense to people today. I hope it makes sense to you today. Does it make sense to anybody this morning? Any better? Fact is, God chastens his children. You may wonder why the world is getting away with what. Man, this world is so mixed up. They got so much information, they can't even choose which bathroom to use. This is a crazy mixed up world. You know, I, I can't worry about all the politics and then the Kenny and the new cabinet and the, the, the same-sex marriage referendum. I can't worry about it all. I just know when I sin, I get in trouble. Amen. He chastens only his children. I hope you learn these things this morning. But he chastens because he loves. Amen, amen, amen. Now maybe your parents got angry, yelled, screaming, threw you against the wall. I don't know what it was. There is abuse with, when humans do things. But there is nothing wrong when God does it. What does chastening mean? What's the one word I taught you? What's the biggest word? Of, there's a lot of things with it, but what does chastening mean? Correction. Just you're going the wrong way and don't go this way okay thank you Lord <laughs> the problem is we're going this way and he tries to turn us and we fight him I want to go this way and the Lord has to pick us up <laughs> and set us over there and then sometimes he has to inflict some pain how does God correct us? through the Bible sometimes through preachers through parents sometimes God uses a softly softly approach sometimes it's heavy handed but you've got to understand this. It's all from the same hand. If it's coming at you hard or soft, he loves you. You say, God, I can't take this anymore. He knows what you can take. He knows what you're going through. And I've got to tell you this. Next week you're going to learn not everything that's trouble in your life is because you've sinned. Not everything that's trouble in your life is because you're in trouble with God. Sometimes you're in trouble with the devil. And he's going to make your life miserable. And the Lord says, I'm going to produce some more holiness even though they're not sins. Amen. Great stuff, great stuff next week. Why does God chasten? Biggest reason. To make you like Jesus Christ. He slept on rocks, folks. He didn't have anywhere to lay his head. He didn't know where food was coming tomorrow. He had people make fun of him, lie about him. He had people want to stone him. Ultimately, he had people crucify him. 
What are you like? How do you react when somebody gives out at you? I know I fail. So how's it going? How's the chastening going on? Because if you're saved, we're all being chastened. At some point, to some degree, some a lot, some a little. That's why the Bible says pray for one another. Encourage one. Lift up the fallen hands. That next verse there in verse 12 says, wherefore lift up the feeble-handed, meaning they've been through trouble so long they can't even get up. Make sure you go over and you pick them up. Don't be like Job's friends and go, you deserve this. Those are Job's friends. You have no right to play that role. You know what your role is? Go and hug them. Don't have to say a word. Love one another, man. Pick up each other. Hold them. Pray for them. Because chastening sometimes is grievous. Father, I pray that you just open our eyes to this great truth. The beginning of your work in us began at salvation, and it was awesome. And if we died the very second after we got born again, we would have been in your presence. It would have been awesome. It would have been wonderful. But you chose to allow us to stay around a little longer. And in this life, instead of us just going straight to heaven, you want to teach us some things. You want to develop. You want to finish a good work you began in us. You're not working out the process of salvation to save us. You've already saved us. But there is a change that you're trying to work to make us better people. Godly people, holy people, people like Jesus. And you don't do that by just hugging us. You afflict us sometimes. We don't like that. You chasten us. You scourge us. You cause us to lose and to fail and to hurt. But not because you're angry or because you're judging, but because you love us intensely. And that you're going to see us change. God, I thank you for that. Maybe a lot of people don't understand that yet. Maybe a lot of people don't appreciate today this, but let it sink into their hearts. And the trouble we experienced this week, may we just lift up our hands and say, God, I love you. And whatever has happened in my life came from you. And I will not resist it. I will not fight it. I will not despise it. I will not quit. I will accept it. And I will ask that you make me a better man, a better woman. Make me like Jesus. And may the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, be right instead of complaining and wrong and hurtful. May my footsteps be directed to always keep thy law. May my prayer life be changed and transformed and empowered, not through the blessings of God, but through the trials and the chastening that brings me to my knees. Lord, this is a fundamental life-changing truth. Will you make it that way in every life here today? There's some people in this room who need to yearn and look in their life and say, I have a lot of trouble, but I don't have God. I don't have a Heavenly Father who's watching out for me and causing all of the trouble to bring me to holiness. I have a devil who brings trouble in my life only to destroy me, and one day he will. Father, with our heads bowed, our eyes closed, our hearts open, God, there are people in this room who right now are in the devil family and they're going through life and they're, they're eking out their life, but they're, they're, they're trusting in science, they're trusting in the, the pills, they're trusting in the, the fun, but it won't carry them past the grave. And they need to hear the words of Jesus, you must be born again. Because in that family there is a loving Heavenly Father who doesn't give us what we want, changes us, makes us holy, makes us accepted in the beloved. I pray somebody would want that. May be born again today. We love you. I thank you for this message to your people. In Jesus' name, amen.